the world is full of wonders. Magic is hidden in small moments. And monsters could be hiding just out of sight. But if you're looking to find them, adventure is waiting to happen. You never know who you'll meet along the way. We are the Storyteller Squad. Hello, adventurers. Welcome back to the Storyteller Squad. Thanks for joining us for more Monster of the Week. Before we begin, let's check in with our heroes. There are only four rules you need to remember. Make the plan, execute the plan, expect the plan to go off the rails, throw away the plan. I'm Hugo Rashad. Speaking of rails, you're waiting for a train, a train that will take you far away. You know where you hope this train will take you but you can't know for sure. Yet it doesn't matter, because... I'm sorry, I'm Agent Whitaker, and that's all we have time for before uh, the copyright demons get us. I'm dumb, what is that a reference to? It's Inception. It's an Inception quote. Oh! <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm just stuck in a nightmare. This is it. This is my nightmare. It's me with stage fright. I'm Raven Eugenia. And coming to you live from the suburbs in D.C., in this corner, your champion, Damien Angelo Edgecrest. (laughs) Oh, Damien, we love you. Oh, my God. I know him. Oh, my God. Sign my chest. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) It was nice going home to Autumn Falls, but I think lately home just means being with all of you. I'm Aiden Brightwood. What the fuck? That was cute. (laughs) Let's have an adventure. Last time, our heroes quickly left the scene of their battle with the demonic assassin Snallagaster, with help from their new ally, Coraline Duskhart, the Moth Girl. Cory took you all to her home in the upscale suburbs of Washington, D.C., and you were able to take shelter in her secluded and magically shielded estate. You met her house and groundskeeper, Adrian Lucas, and her other housemates, a pair of enormous praying mantis and the Chesapeake Bay lake monster, Chessie. As you all took time to rest, you found out that Hugo's friend Rianne was also staying with Cory, and that he and Cory seemed to be dating, or at least sleeping together. After talking with Mira, Felicity decided that she needed some time away from the constant danger your group has been dealing with, and so she said goodbye to Aiden and Whitaker before traveling with Mira into the Havens. But that wasn't the only pair of girlfriends stepping out. Borrowing from the few medallions the group has left, Aiden and Raven teleported back to Autumn Falls, a simple but much-needed source of calm and comfort for the both of them. Damien had a conversation that night with Snallagaster at the edge of the barrier. And while the two traded light verbal jabs, their interaction ended on a sinister note. The next morning, Coraline began to teach the remaining human hunters the magical discipline of dreamwalking while Aiden brought Damien to a corner of Mothgirl's property to help him learn to harness the power of his divine spark more reliably. And that is where we left off. But it is not where we pick up. Fire. Destruction. Sparks. 
We slowly sweep past broken window glass and drywall, overturned outdoor furniture and destroyed landscaping, until we see Aiden, her clothing torn and covered in dirt and debris, forcing herself to her feet amidst the wreckage of Coraline's home. We see the monstrous form of Snallagaster rushing towards a circle of figures, Raven, Hugo, and Whitaker. These three are seated as if in deep meditation, seemingly unaware of their surroundings as thin silver threads extend from each of them and gather at Coraline's fingertips. Corey is also seated, but one eye remains open, blazing red and pulsing as she maintains a look of fierce concentration and grips the threads with white-knuckled hands that are beginning to elongate, turn black, and flicker. Aiden launches herself forward on golden wings to intercept the Snallagaster as our camera pulls back, laying the entire scene out before us in a single wide shot. We hear Aiden scream as she flies towards everyone else to protect them from Snallagaster in time. It looks like she might not make it. And we cut to black. And now I'm handing the reins of this episode over to my players as we begin what we've been affectionately referring to as the dream heist. Dun, dun, dun. So, Hunters, what happens next? We are starting in the place apart with the Azelbub and their siblings having a conversation. We do not hear what this conversation is about because we arrive at the end of it. And it gets interrupted because Beazelbub suddenly senses that the teen squad is no longer wearing ambulance and can be detected. The dry, dusty, sandblasted landscape of the place apart opens before us. We hear the howling winds and the occasional red crackle of lightning. We see the Demon Lord Alliance gathered around some broken outcropping of rocks, Azazel, Leviathan, Asmodeus, and Beelzebub. In heated argument, we see the shadow magic that they use to sort of represent the movements of their servants in the material world. And so we see a shadowy form of Snallagaster in their human guise, running his hand along a surface which is not represented. Only a slight warm glow on his palm indicates that he is being blocked from somewhere. And we hear Azazel, as she throws her hands up in disgust, I cannot believe you didn't teach him dispelling magic before sending him out there. Now we have to instruct him from afar. Meanwhile, Biel says, You were the one that insisted he be given the gift of hellfire. That takes quite a bit of magic already. Asmodeus seems to be concentrating, and he's mumbling under his breath as if he is the one giving Snallagaster the instruction on how to break apart a magical barrier. And Azazel continues to bicker, this time with her sister, Leviathan, who begins to chastise her sister over insisting that they pump as much destructive power into their creation versus the infiltration abilities that she could have provided. 
AKA the way Damien is able to phase through material. We see Biel's, the two points of light within the hood that represents their face and head, dart in a direction, away from the conversation, away from the other demon lords. And we see they grip their staff tightly. We see them step away from the group, almost feeling the air as it whips by and runs rough, coarse grain against their fingertips. The Morgan. I can sense her again. And Azazel whips around. What the fuck did you just say? You three deal with Snellagaster's quest. I have more urgent business to attend to. And before the other demon lords can protest, Beelzebub is gone in a black snap of reality. They return to their rotting mound that is their home Mm -hmm. and begin throwing ingredients into their cauldron, uh, which swirls with steam and smoke and opens into a view of the Maxwell Farm in Pecatonica. Tell me, Natalie, what does Biel summon to take care of the morgue in this time around? All three teams are uncovered, untalismaned. And they're all together at the farm. What happened to their talismans? They're gone. We don't know. All Beelzebub knows is they're suddenly able to sense these children again in the morgue. I don't know if they would question what happened and why they can sense them. It's just pure focus of like, there they are, I need to go get them, you know? Sure, sure, sure. I'll say that in the view of the farm, we see that the barn where Max and Piper and Buck had made their little monster hunting haven, half of that barn has been fully strewn outwards amongst the cornfields and the lawn and the tree line of the Maxwell property. We see Max and Mackenzie frantically shifting through the rubble of the barn. Max going, shit, shit, shit. Oh no, shit. (laughs) And we maybe overhear Ken saying to Max, we shouldn't have experimented on them. Fuck, now they're gone. And Biel's chuckles and reaches out to some jar from a shelf, their arm elongating, and pulls it in and uncorks it black smoke just begins to pour from this container and mix with the smoke of the uh, cauldron. And we see in the smoking wreckage of the barn, the smoke begins to turn black and pool together in a dust devil, but growing and taking on more width and form We see the two girls step back away from this thing as a animate miniature tornado forms from the smoke of the barn wreckage. And two pinpricks of red light appear within the tornado, similar to Beelz's hood. And we hear their voice. Found you. Sounds like we should get this fight started. 
So is there actually like a substantial construct sent after them, or is it like this swirling dust devil with the sort of hood and, you know, eyes of, of Beelzebub? The hood is not really there, but it's like reminiscent because it's just the swirling, you know, darkness that the red lights are piercing out of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And it's clearly Beelzebub speaking through this monster. Correct. Sweet. And would you say this monster counts as an abomination? Absolutely. (laughs) Good to know. What starts first is just a fight, just a full-on panicked, these kids are screaming, running to and fro. Mackenzie may be like starting to look around for a pitchfork, some sort of farming implement. Max is definitely trying to get back into the barn to grab some kind of weapon, some kind of artifact. They're scared, but it's also like, we've done this before. This is game time, let's go. There's gonna be a fight, the monster's back. Would you three like to take command of the Curious Crew? Is that what you're going for here? Yes. Natalie, would you like our first heist flashback? Yeah, we could flashback. That might explain who's playing who real quick. Yeah. (laughs) So as this fight begins to take place, as like this black smoky dust devil starts taking up all the farm debris and all the kids start realizing, oh, what a horrible mistake we've made. The scene swirls away, the scene flashes, and all it becomes is a couple of drawings on a whiteboard in the hands of a young Lonnie Whitaker. It's a drizzly day in Surrey. They're on a misty field, and young, red-haired, unscarred Lonnie is in a football jersey, and he's drawing out little uh, sports plays on a whiteboard. And instead of being surrounded by fellow schoolmates, he just has Hugo and Raven standing over him as he points to different things on the board. Sure. Uh, He's in the middle of talking, and uh, you hear him say, once we've got that ready, we'll bring in Teen Squad. We know they want the Morrigan. Time to find out why. Uh, Raven, you'll be Piper. Hugo, do you want to take the role of Baku McKenzie in this one? Um, you see, now that would be perfect, Whitaker, except for one problem. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, memories. Fuck. How about Buck? He's more of a hands-on fighter kind of kid. It'd be easier to masquerade. <laughs> you know what? That'd be simple enough. All right. Yeah, let's, let's try this instead. Whitaker summons up little miniature version of Buck for Hugo to look at. This is Buck. Close range, barbarian tank. He hits hard. You know, um, like Dungeons and Dragons? He doesn't talk about his feelings. He doesn't want to be here, but he has to be. That's you. Hugo, the eye tattoo on your hand flashes briefly as you look at this construct of Buck Harper that Agent Whitaker's made for you. Mm -hmm. And you hear... Kabe's voice sounds like you need to get into the mind of someone else. Would you like to make a trade, Mr. Rashad? Actually, out of curiosity, Natalie, is Hugo the only one who can hear that voice in this particular setting? In this shared subconsciousness we're all in in together? If you guys are dreaming... Can Kabe talk to him through this? Yeah. Okay. Because it's still Hugo's mind. Okay, that's true. You know what it is? You think the voice is in your head because you're so used to it being that way. But we pan away just to the side of Hugo's head as he's concentrating. And we see sitting on a stone, long, lanky limbs in a dark suit and reclined casually is Dr. Aranya Kabe. He's here? He's got a little silver coin that he continues to like move across his fingers. Oh my God. Who the fuck let you in here? I've always been watching. 
I'm very interested in Mr. Rashad's story. Oh, you're him. <sighs> I would like you all to meet my debt collector. Is he here here <laughs> or is this like a projection of his subconscious that we got to rein in before things get messy? Is there really a difference? Yeah, fair enough. You see Coraline, who I assume is sharing the dream space with you all, is very stiff. And she says, Hugo, if you're going to make a deal with this person, please do so he can leave. Oh, I have no intention of making a deal with this person. I'm already in debt to you, Mr. Kabe. I'm not going to double down right now. No debt if you simply make an exchange, but fair enough. Hope you're good at acting, Mr. Rashad. Yeah, he's got a good fucking director. I was in musical theater, bitch. Get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Kaveh's form doesn't blow away or anything. It just slowly becomes less and less opaque until he is gone. (sighs) That was creepy. You see Coraline relaxes a lot more now. Hey, was he on your was he on your fucking guest list? Is he on your VIP? Why is he allowed in here? Because he's stronger than me. Kind of feels like he hitched a ride inside Hugo's head. He does that. He didn't have to be allowed in. He was already in. Yeah, he um he sees it all. Like a twisted Santa Claus. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> As Hugo says that, you suddenly see a Santa hat on his head. Right. <laughs> his beard gets bushy and white. <laughs> So, camera swirls back. How is everybody controlling their player? However you want to flavor this, Piper, act under pressure. Because in the wreckage of the barn, you can see the handle of the Morrigan's dagger. And you know that drawing that will instantly put you in a better position to fight back. Uh, That's a seven. If you go for the dagger now, you will be leaving... Kenzie alone to deal with the first onslaught of this tornado creature. Do it. Max is desperate. She's going for it. She knows Mackenzie can handle herself for a bit. Okay. You dash across and dodging nails and (laughs) splintered wood sees that dagger and are able to draw it. The shadowy cloak of the Morgan forms around Max's shoulders. A few dark feathers float in the air. No mindless monster this time. It's Beelzebub's will incarnate. Good. Take care, Druid. The tornado thing is coming at Mackenzie. You can feel the wind and strength of it, even though it's made of smoke. So it's like a hot draw of wind, which is almost alien. Like you don't usually feel wind that is scorching, but it threatens to lift you up and pull you into its cyclonic movement. Mackenzie jumps back and for a moment immediately goes into like a boxer's stance before like there's a sudden adjustment like, oh, right, no, I'm a caster. (laughs) And for a moment, like, um, I don't think BL sees this, but the audience sees that there's a flicker and and for a moment, Mackenzie looks taller and it's it's Whitaker simply uh, in Mackenzie's space. Yeah, sort of a ghostly projection and then yeah. back in. Yeah. So so he's feeling everything and you can tell for a brief moment with the way he goes to reach for an axe that isn't there, he was kind of hoping he could be Buck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the original plan. 
Whitaker was gonna be Buck, and Hugo was gonna be <laughs> Mackenzie the caster, and we had to change plans last minute. I mean, you don't have to. No, no, it's funnier this way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in the narrative, we had to. Sure. Buck is a simple man who's easy to control in a fight. He big, he fight, he, you know, he swing axe. Right. Mm-hmm. So Mackenzie leaps backwards and um, she just she starts pulling up like little vine walls out of the ground, just, like coming up through the wreckage of the, the barn, pulling up boards and nails as they go to try and create a wall between her and uh, the dust devil. Mm. And if we can get a moment, right, this is just like a nice little blockade to slow it down a little. Uh, Mackenzie is going to pull out Whitaker's glasses and put them on. Interesting. Well, it's use magic to quickly, hastily throw together some defenses as this tornado approaches. Yes, certainly. Gonna roll with my lovely new dice. Don't fuck me, Zoe! (laughs) God damn it. Oh. It's a fail. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Whitaker has no idea what he's doing. It's all right. We gotta gotta draw Beals in. That's true, right? Because... Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Mackenzie loses control of the magic. This never ends well. Mm. The vines which were so quickly asked to grow and hold together this debris as a barrier are quickly dried up and scorched away by this hot wind, which means that all the debris is also pulled into the tornado's form. Wood splinters begin to be thrown outwards from this swirling dark smoke. In your flight away from the the creature, Mackenzie, you will take a harm as a piece of board just comes by and grazes your thigh. Hey, Natalie. Yes? Can I protect someone? (laughs) You can certainly try. We see Buck's car come rolling through the debris, almost like a cutscene. Ooh. It comes right between Mackenzie and the debris that's getting thrown around. Debris pelts the car. We see Buck get out of the car, adjust his shirt almost, and does this weird, like, idle stance and a little dance, and then he's in fighting position. Okay. (laughs) And in his case, I don't need to roll to protect someone because he is never again. Very nice. Oh, yeah. Buck protects without rolling. Excellent. Yeah, this two by four slams through the driver's side window, but not enough to impact Buck. And other, you know, splinters and things lacerate the tires of the car and ping into the, the siding of the doors. But it is enough for Mackenzie to dive behind and be protected. And there is the first round. What, uh, what are y'all thinking, Curious Crew? I will also mention, for anyone who is sort of embodying the likeness of these characters as your original hunter, thanks to Coraline's training, you know how to maintain your sense of self in the dreaming, but you do hear thoughts, sort of like whispers in your mind, in the voice of the person you are becoming or, or have taken on the form of. So, Raven, you might hear Max's voice, Shit, shit, I never should have messed with those medallions. That was so stupid of me. I just wanted to try and make more. I thought I could be... Mackenzie, you hear that voice. Don't use too much. Don't use too much magic. Don't use too much. It'll make the tattoo grow. And Buck, you just hear... Fuck, shit, motherfuck, son of a... (laughs) (laughs) All right. 
So if I may add on to that a little bit. Yeah. As we hear those expletives coming out, we see in a space beyond space, a little statue of Buck resting on top of a platform on an arcade cabinet from which we see Hugo messing around with a fight stick. Yes! <laughs> the idle animation and then, the, yeah, he's playing a video game. Yeah, so in this like sort of emptiness space, Hugo, you are there. He's standing in front of the arcade cabinet, clicking away with the little joystick and the buttons. While on your screen, it might appear an 8-bit buck has driven a car and there's like the cheesy 80s video game explosions happening. There's a little cartoon tornado going through with little red eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Repeating the same like wind attack, like <laughs> buck has to like leap and crouch and, you know, throw an axe, which regenerates and throws it again. It was just like an ammo thing. <laughs> but in the in the actual space where this is taking place, in, in live action, Buck uh, is leaping around with his axe and sending off those waves of vibratory force uh, to try and break apart this tornado. In a similar vein to that, if you zoom out from this scene in a like a space beyond space, really cool phrase, uh, you'll see Raven with two little marionette puppet things, one in each hand, and there's Max, and there's the Morrigan. And so to her, this is a performance and she is playing these two in tandem and controlling both of their movements in sync. Follow the puppet strings down from her hands and there's Max and the Morgan on the ground in the barn in like kind of a flowy movement, like they're getting ready to move. Yeah, we see Max crouched with their hood up, the shadow of the Morgan sort of extending from the dark cloak blowing in the wind. Mm -hmm. Whitaker's a method actor, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> He's just in it. I'm in it. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Put me in, coach. The important bit is just that they are fighting and Biel's believes that they are fighting. That is that is the, the, the big thing that matters at the moment. Mm hmm Have you all figured out how to make Biel's sense the presence of the Morrigan while remaining within Coraline's barrier, which blocks scrying? Yes, but can we answer that question later? Well, I basically need to know if the barrier is up and Snallagaster still has to break it, or if you all took it down as part of this plan. We haven't done anything to the barrier, but what we came up with to trick Biel's will be so much more satisfying if we can reveal it at the end. Okay, um, then for now, we will cut to a table with glasses that are still full of ice with half-drunk beverages in them from breakfast and then pan over to this little tile patio space where the three of you are sitting in those meditative positions with Coraline holding those silver threads. Both eyes are closed on her at the moment, but all of you are sharing and creating and weaving this dream together. And we pan up and we see Coraline's barrier flicker and stutter for just a moment and then hold strong again. And we will fly through the Moth Girl estate to a section of the forest where we see Snallagaster just looking at the barrier, tapping his finger to his chin, still in human guise. He nods and then stands up, straightens his little coat that he's wearing and proceeds to walk towards that barrier and trace fingers along its surface. And as he traces, his hand lights up warm and begins to sear 
new runes into the exterior of the barrier. And wherever a rune is placed, tiny red cracks begin to spread. He draws another rune and another. And we see these runes take on sort of the form of tentacles. The runes themselves shift and change and begin to flex on the surface of this barrier, causing those red cracks to spread even further. When he finishes drawing the last rune, the tentacles all tighten at once and interlock like a chain. The section of barrier crumbles away into the grass. And Schnellegeist nods and says, My apologies for requesting help, Lord Asmodeus. Allow me to reassure you. The job will soon be finished. And he strides through the barrier. So, dreamers, why don't you act under pressure? Act under pressure as the hunters or as teen squad? As the hunters, because didn't you say you wanted to make moves like as the dreamers? Yeah. We want to try and like control it dream wise. Yep. Just making sure that's on record. Yes. Yeah. This will just be a cool roll. We are above the fiction that you are starting to create with Coraline and BLs. Oh, I love that Lonnie has plus three to cool. That's a 10. That's an 11. That's a nine. Okay. I mean, two successes in a mixed is... That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Let's start from Hugo and go back. What is Hugo's big like move within the dream for this particular part of your plan? So that's the weird thing, because Hugo doesn't know enough about the teen squad to really be able to do a big move. Mm -hmm. He was told that Buck does football, so he's trying his best to run interference. Sure. Uh, If at any point, Hugo, you want to do a flashback to get, like, maybe not what Buck would be doing in this fight, but what Hugo is doing to make sure we get what we want, that is also on the table. Yeah, because we also have, like, a Facebook group of us that we are currently talking in if we need to make that canon and have us have three different chats open right now it's insane <laughs> i know <laughs> if you need us to flashback and like reconvene on this plan that we have because it is just bare bones we can do that and kind of backwards plan it as we go oh look there's a chat huh huh <laughs> oh look at that there's your icon <laughs> Whoop, there you are <laughs> there hasn't been that much most of it's stuff we've passed But yeah, I'm totally fine with having actual conversations in-game as the flashbacks of like, all right, and then what do we do? And then it's us right now figuring out our next moves. I will say, you know, you've got your limited pool of flashing back. So just figure out how many you want to spend like at the front, the middle, and the finale. Mm -hmm. Oh shit, wait, how many do we have? What's the pool? Uh, You're cool. You have as many as your cool rating, so. That's right, that's right. Okay, cool. Hugo, are we flashing back or are we just in the moment? I think we're just in the moment still. I feel like narratively getting a mix makes sense. Yeah, you're focusing on maintaining the illusion and having it read as a successful deception here, basically. Yeah. Which again, good planning. It's easy to make Buck seem convincing. All you have to do is seem frustrated and angry (laughs) and attack the the monster. (laughs) Every now and then the movements that he's making seem a little bit too mechanical. Like repeated? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, huh, he's swinging that axe at just the right angle 
the same angle they did last time, but eh, it's not a problem. You only notice if you're looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> we just see Hugo sweating in front of the arcade machine. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh... Should have had more buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I do it with such a joystick and two buttons? This is not enough. <laughs> he imagines a quick little like cheat sheet. He gets frustrated, <laughs> waves his hand, and, and it becomes a, a TV with a PlayStation <laughs> instead. Yep. Quarter circle turn, quarter circle turn. <laughs> Trigger buttons. This is what I needed. <laughs> there we go. All right. Whitaker, what is your big move? We're going to stretch the truth a bit, and we're going to let that tattoo grow a little bit bigger. Mm. We are going to attempt to trap Beelzebub, this this dust devil Beelzebub. And what Mackenzie's going to do is obviously pull up like a, a big circle of roots from the ground. But not only is she bringing up plant life, uh, she's taking up groundwater with it because this is hot air. The best way to uh, stop a dust devil is to get it away from rising hot air and to get something cooler. We don't really have ice on hand because Hugo is currently not Hugo, but we have groundwater at the very least. So big circle of of trees and roots erupting from the ground, uh, bringing hopefully some geysers of water with them as well. Sure. Yeah, we see uh, one of the roots as it comes up out of the ground is pulling with it the pipe that supplies water to the house. Sure, yeah. And wrenches it apart until it spews and then the other roots come in to bend the pipe in the right direction to spray at the dust devil. God, what a fun name for a demonic creature that is a literal tornado. Was that not on purpose? <laughs> well, it was a little. Again, I haven't prepped anything, so I'm, I'm fully winging it. Nice. You're doing amazing. Thanks. I love all of this. <laughs> yeah, and we see as Mackenzie throws her hands forward, the tattoo on her one arm is now starting to creep up her neck like vines growing in sped up time lapse. And so it's starting to like swirl under her earlobes and then meets at the middle of her forehead in this like nice floral pattern and around her eyes. It's like she's got a bunch of facial tattoos creeping in, in a bright emerald color, just leaves and more flourishing scroll work. Whitaker has a quick, not capital F flashback, but a quick like mental flashback to training day when he saw Hugo also get taken over by the tattoos. And very quietly, he just like whispers, I'm sorry, Mackenzie. Mm. That's his move. The water definitely is giving this dust devil a lot of trouble. Max, what's your big move? Can you remind me, does the Morrigan have like a weapon or are they also magic? The way they manifest in Max is through the cloak which lets her move quickly and with a lot of agility. Uh, It lets her soar when she grips the edges of it to fly. And the silver knife is enchanted to like be able to cut and damage pretty much anything. Okay. So Max becomes the avatar of the Morrigan when she draws the dagger and, and the cloak manifests. Okay, cool. Also, don't forget about her familiar, the little snow spirit. Yes. I was actually just going to correct what I said earlier when I said it was Max and the Morrigan. It's actually Max with the power of the Morrigan and Flurry, a little tiny puppet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can't forget about Flurry. With the dust devil clearly struggling with this water, Max is going to use the power of the Morrigan to soar up above the dust devil and then try to cut it with the silver knife kind of on the way down 
And as that happens, Max is going to yell to the dust devil. What do you want with us? Why do you want the Morrigan so bad? I'm picturing, just because it's Teen Squad, the most rad 90s skateboard trick, but like just magically spiraling down this dust devil with the dagger and a reverse grip. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just yelling. (laughs) What do you want with us? (laughs) She thinks it sounds really cool and intimidating, (laughs) but it's actually coming out really like scared. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's Max is like, oh man, I'm so grounded. Leave us alone, scary monster. I've had a bad day already. (laughs) So you are attempting to find out information about why BLs and the Morgan have this rivalry? Yes. We are trying to extract some info. Okay. And we can escalate that if need be. Yeah. This will take a, like, sub-role as Max investigating a mystery. Ooh. That's an 11. Max has really high sharp. Yes, she does. And I rolled well. Nice. But yeah, this is very much Raven trying to extract information with this little teenage plea. What questions are you asking? I definitely want what is being concealed here. Um, Do you guys have any suggestions? Let me see. What was it going to do is a good one, but maybe not for this exact scenario. What is the here and what happened here, technically? That could be the here of the relationship. What happened between you two, you know? That's true. We are, like, partially in Beelzebub's subconsciousness, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that could be very literal. Yeah. I mean, the hope is to use that to our advantage as Beelzebub is talking. They're getting caught up in their emotions and might just show us what happened, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. If we pull back control and just, like, suggest the idea... What happened here? Will we get a peek of, of what that space was? Okay. I'm very much in inception mode of like, if you suggest a thing, they're going to start thinking of the thing. Yep. Yeah. All right. So what was being concealed here and what happened here? Those are my two questions. I like this a lot. Yeah. That's you trying to extract this information and, and give leading questions uh, as you know the performance you're giving. We see Max's silver dagger glow bright as she finally finishes and lands on the ground and there's a flash as the trail she made spiraling down the tornado creature just cracks, cracks, cracks as if it's solidifying. Yeah! And it explodes in white. And we pick up on a dusty road. Oh, yes! I think the three of us pull back control and let Beelzebub's mind bring us there. And we just watch. It's not through Beelzebub's eyes. It's through the Morrigans. Fuck yeah, boys. Here we go. Here we go. The lore. Hell yeah. All right. Very cool. We see a dusty path, but not in a desolate way. There's lots of grasses around, little butterflies floating through a field, and we hear songbirds. They flit about on sparsely dotted trees, and we see two figures kneeling a little ways away from what looks like the corpse of some grazing herd animal as crows land and pick at the scraps left by the larger predators. And as we pull back, we see these two figures and we see the familiar cloak with the hood pulled back. 
And now for the first time, we see the face of the Morrigan spirit. From their cheekbones are little black feathers, which start small and eventually sweep back and join the black ringlets of hair. One eye, which is a little milky white, and the other, which is a dark jet obsidian. We see them in simple attire, sheer and gossamer and just sort of nebulous around their form. And we see next to them is a hunched, young-looking humanoid with messy, dark brown hair that's a little long, kind of hangs in front of their face and parts so that a couple eyes can look out. On their back are a pair of wings, similar to Aiden's. And they hold a long, gnarled wooden staff. And growing on the staff at the head are lots of different little colorful fungi. And the Morgan spirit says, Do you ever feel sad, Beelzebub, given your charge is to look after the things of decay in this world? And Beelzebub, the celestial, sits crouched in the grass, just sort of running their thumb along the length of their staff, and looks at the corpse of the animal that was killed as the crows and flies and other things begin to send its form back into the earth. No, it's just a part of life. It's work that has to be done so that new things can happen. And even in that ending, I can create so much. And they look at the head of their staff and point it towards the creature. And little fungus and moss begins to grow over the corpse and it slowly disintegrates into the ground and new grass shoots up out of it. The Morgan's cloak is caught in the wind and it flutters in front of our view and goes to black. And we see a different location, stony and raining. A young woman dressed in peasant or farmer attire from long, long ago stands in front of their house, which is oozing this dark, miasmic aura. We see two bodies being reduced to nothing, literally being disintegrated by nothing and just fading away, their skeletons turning black and vanishing. And this girl standing there, screaming into the night sky in the rain, and a crow lands on a tree and the woman catches the eye of the crow. And when the crow takes off, one of its feathers falls to the ground. And just as it is about to fall the way a feather might, it suddenly becomes a dagger made of silver. And this shapeless hulking form begins to emerge from the building. The young woman picks up the dagger and She is garbed in the cloak of the Morrigan spirit and engages the monster. There is a crash of thunder. And we cut to another scene. A young woman with dark skin is being given her whispered tattoo for the first time. She hunches over in pain as the magic settles into her body and takes hold. And an old man 
comes forward carrying a dark black ebony box with silver inlays and opens it in front of her. And we see as she recovers and other whispered members come by to congratulate her and welcome her into the sect, she reaches forward and picks up the silver dagger. And we see many instances of this dagger passing down from one person to the next and quick flashes of them fighting abominations, creations of BLs that were sent out into the world to cause ruin and decay and death. And we flash to a woman with blonde hair, clear whispered tattoos on her body, sort of a farmer's tan and freckles, dressed in semi-modern clothing. Maybe it's the 50s or the 60s, as a farm burns behind her and other whispered members lay dying in the dirt. What looks like an oil-slicked elephant seal clambers over and crushes a tractor beneath its enormous weight, spewing this inky blackness out of its body, rushing her. And this woman, clearly mortally wounded already, whispers into the dagger, and we see a chest in a back shed glow as she performs some last rite of the whispered, dispatches this abomination and falls into the dirt as it disintegrates to ash as all demons spawn do when they are destroyed, clutches the dagger over her heart where we can see the pulse of a whispered tattoo in its final throes of trying to save its host or its bearer, I guess is a better way of putting it. No, no, you're a right kind of though, when you think about it. <laughs> she looks up as the smoke in the air leads to a small rain shower and just closes her eyes and the dagger vanishes in a flash of silver and once more that chest in the shed flashes and the seal of the whispered is burned into the top and it locks. What happened between Biel's and the Morrigan is that Biel's sided with those who rebelled against the status quo during the war and Morrigan, being a spirit, sided with the Earth. Damn. Holy fuck, Natalie. <laughs> All off the top of the dome. <laughs> the war. God diggity damn. It was really good. Thank you. That was so fucking cool. I'm going insane. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, let's try to, like, uncover a little bit about, like, what goes on in Beelz's subconsciousness in this episode. And, ooh, baby, we got, we got a feast. <laughs> and so, from that last scene, we whoosh, return to the one you guys have constructed of the Curious Crew, now the next bearer of the knife fighting back. We inception out of the dream within a dream back to this dream. Yes. And so we see Max gets up, pulls the hood back, and calls to her friends. Hey, are you guys all right? Shit. Gramps is going to kill me. Look at the barn. Oh, man. And we back through the cauldron smoke to Biel's in their rotting, decaying fortress. 
muttering and cursing under their breath and searching for some new thing. Maybe they've got a bunch of things laid out on a table that they're quickly stitching and dissecting and cutting apart and piecing back together again to make something really awful to throw back out into the world through this cauldron. What do you do next, dreamers? So I think as BL sees the, like it zooms back out and it's BL's watching through there how they spy on people. The kids are kind of getting up, dusting themselves off, checking on each other. And then our squad shows up. Raven, Whitaker, and Hugo pull up to the farm, get out, run over to the kids, check on them, and are kind of looking around like, all right, you got it, but is there gonna be another one like prepping? Hmm. Does that get us? You tell me. Just according to, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking every day based on the notes that I have. I know that OG squad is supposed to show up now. The initial plan was to kind of just fight one monster, but if the kids defeated that one and Beelz is ready to just send something else, I think that could keep us on track of it still seeming believable in this dream while pulling our characters in to be able to interact with Beelz. Mm -hmm. Do you want to flash to outside the dream while I throw some stuff in secret chat real quick? We can. Yeah. Yeah, we've been in dream for a while. If you guys want to do a Damien scene, that would be great. Okay, yeah. So we will end on BL's turning back to the cauldron and seeing the Whitaker SUV pull up and three of you leaping out and going over to check on the Curious crew. Mm-hmm. The fires of the barn flicker and swell up in front of the camera. And when we come to the next scene, it is Snallagaster walking through Coraline's property, the wooded area that I described in the last episode that is like perfectly manicured to have like a nice mulched forest bed and all the trees have been trimmed so that their branches only start above a certain walking height for people to look through and see all the trunks and things. Not an evergreen needle out of place. And as Snallagaster walks, he runs his hand along the trees, long nails starting to grow out of his human hands and rake the tree. And wherever he does, the trees burst into fire. The resin just immediately igniting up the central trunk of each tree and the needles curl and twist and become a blaze. And so we see pieces of trees falling as they're consumed by the fire. And Snellagast walking, bits of tree hitting him and exploding into embers, but seemingly leaving no visible mark on him. And he walks forward as he sets the woods of Coraline's property on fire. And at this moment, a golden light lands in front of him. And we see Aiden stand up, gold wings spread out behind her. Damien runs in completely out of breath because he doesn't have wings. I love cutting to Damien, who's like just leaving the like yard of the property, like running through the, the woods. So you're not quite there yet, but you're like, oh shit, he's here. <laughs> like chase after her. So like Aiden gets the cool three point, Damien just like running in the background, like, come on, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> we see her stand and Snallagaster says, ah, first light, a fortuitous. You know, when we first met, I thought maybe that attacking your friends would be the best strategy, but 
I see now that removing you from the board should clearly be my first move. Unless, of course, you have had a change of heart and wish to hand over her edgecrest to me without a fuss. Then we could forget all this nasty business and be friends. Aiden just sort of sets her jaw, grits her teeth, and says, Keep dreaming, asshole. And rushes him. Let's see her kick some ass. Twelve. Aiden is using her smite, which is a two harm attack, and she's going to use her advanced kick some ass move to double that harm to four. So she flies forward at him and punches him square in the chest. And when you throw a punch, you want to, you know, throw your whole body into it. Aiden throws her body and her wings into it to give her even more force and momentum so that when she hits him, he instantly folds in half and is sent flying back through the burning woods, breaking off branches as he impacts with them. And that's when she pulls her fist away and we see Damien catching up behind her, <laughs> running. <laughs> and she will turn back to you. You ready to go? Oh yeah, I think he's getting back up. Three, two, one. And Damien's gonna sort of like grab onto Aiden's hand, swing in close, and he's gonna spin them around and in their sort of dancing position, outstretched hand, the sword of Damocles pops out. Ooh, okay. And he's gonna say, let it rip. <laughs> so I'm turning them, <laughs> instead of one using the other as a weapon, I'm making them a cooperative Beyblade. <laughs> so who has the sword? They both do. Sharing is caring. Ballroom stance, waist, waist, hand, hand. Mm -hmm. The hand that's extended has the sword extended in between their two hands. Gotcha. And they're not human, so they don't have the sort of centrifugal force stuff in your head, so they really can just spin like crazy. I like this a lot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use one of Aiden's flashbacks here. We cut to Aiden and Damien training because the whole point of her taking you aside was to have you learn to harness the spark within you. But I think at one point in that training, you get frustrated and you're like, I just need a break. I'm, my head's a mess. I'm, my brain's mush. I need to step away. And she gives you 15, 20 minutes or so and then says, all right, let's go over something else. I know several fighting styles but Snellagaster knows our stuff. Beelz has been watching us this entire time. I think we gotta come at him with something new. Yeah, we need some cool, fresh combo moves and cool catchphrases and things. <laughs> yeah, and she glances over to her phone or the burner phone she's got with like the music and her headphones sticking out of it. And she goes and takes the headphones out and lets the music just play audibly. Oh, you're getting music? Hell yeah. Yeah, she offers a hand to you and says, do you know how to dance? Oh my God, I love this. <laughs> yes, but I can't lead. Don't worry about that. None of my girlfriends ever could either. So I've got lots of practice. We see in a dance training montage, Damien and Aiden practicing a bunch of dance combos and like hunched over, you know, YouTube videos of like how to do certain steps and dips and twirls. And the two of you basically come up with this strategy to not come at Snellagaster 
with fighting choreography, but with dance choreography, because it's not something that BLs would have instilled in this creation to be able to defend against. It's friendship. And so the, we cut to, in the middle of you spinning Aiden out in a twirl of this practice dance, we then cut back to the burning forest as you, again, spin Aiden out, but this time you let your arm extend in slime. She still holds on, so there's tension there, but she gets to fly forward with the sword and pierce him in the shoulder with it. And there's just more of that dipping and using dance steps to sort of come in, back out, come between all the footwork you would need to actually fight with someone, but turned into this fun and, and unpredictable choreography. Because, yeah, as soon as you stab out, we can grab you and bring you back to avoid the counterattack. Right, like a rubber band. You pull your arm back in to avoid him, like, reaching for her with his two hands, which have the claws extended on them, glowing red hot with embers. I like the idea of when you pull her back in and you guys form back up into, like, ready dance position, we see that you both have one set of a Bluetooth headphone in. You're listening to the same music, a la Neon Genesis. Yes. <laughs> That's so cool. Cool. We can cut away from that fight for a minute and come back to our dreamers. But I love that. That's so fun. <laughs> Dreamers, we're back. What you got? So what's going to happen is the Morgan, I guess, just came out of that flashback, you know, dream of how things turned out the way they did and Teen Squad, like, huffing and puffing, but, like, clearly still ready to go. The truck pulls up, outpours Whitaker, Hugo, Raven, a nicely puppeted Felicity and Damien and Aiden. Okay. Just totally normal, doing their normal things. We came as soon as you called. <laughs> Love that. But before Whitaker uh, jumps back to his regular self, he's going to have Mackenzie do one more thing to set the stage for the next scene of the fight. She is going to let the tattoo consume her as she summons a forest. There's a rumbling in the earth. There is a shifting of tectonic plates as the foundations of the barn and of the house and the road start to shake and crack and everything just vibrates as Mackenzie pulls up saplings, then trees, then ancient oaks breaking through the crust of the earth. Can I make a suggestion? Yes, Brittany, please make a suggestion. They're redwood trees. They're absolutely fucking mm. enormous. Mackenzie is summoning an old forest. The prehistoric seeds and acorns hidden away. An old ancient forest. And it gets dark. <laughs> the trees lift up and the branches come together and the sun is blocked out and now everything is gloomy and dusky and the next stage of the fight as the teen squad runs away into the leaves is just in this dark ancient forest. Okay. What do I need to roll, Natalie? <laughs> <laughs> to make sure that happens. I think it's a cool roll from Whitaker because this is a big dream move that you're doing. You're shifting the scene entirely and the setting even. Mm -hmm. We're trying to keep it reasonably logical of the, the girl with the nature powers did this. And so it kind of makes sense how we got here. Right, yeah. We're trying to follow those rules. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, don't. Fuck me, Zoe. Mwah. 
Uh, it was a 13 to do that. Fuck yeah. Is your envisioning of this that she just fully sacrifices herself and the tattoo kills her? Whatever it looks like when you summon that amount of power from the tattoo. What does Whitaker think it looks like when you summon that amount of power from the tattoo? Mm. Oh, that's probably what he thinks it looks like. Okay. Does she just turn into one of the trees and just gets pulled up with it and she's gone? Yeah. She doesn't become a tree, but roots come and start to wrap around her and grow up around her. Mm-hmm. She's like taken away by it. Yeah, as the fire of her tattoo flickers over her heart, a bright, almost white, but still with a green sheen to it, flashes once more as the bark closes up over her eyes as they close. Piper screams, no, no, and Buck picks her up and pulls her away into the dark woods. Yeah, they just disappear into the mist. They're gone. Leaving only the hunters from Autumn Falls in this new forested space. Dope as hell. Very cool. Thank you, Dice, for supporting the narrative. Thank you so much. So cool. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. What a fun way to like shift the scene subtly, but like, yeah. (laughs) Let's go, boys. All right. (laughs) So what is the goal here? What is, what is, how is this affecting BLs? We need to go deeper. What is currently here? The dust devil is gone. What remains? This forest. You've completely rewritten the landscape by having this happen. So, like, it's unrecognizable as Pecatonica, Illinois. Mm-hmm. But Bielz was watching us. <laughs> yeah, Bielz is watching you. But you have brought a puppet version of Damien with the spark. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have a puppet of Damien, and also we have another more again. <laughs> Raven's going to go to the middle of the clearing and pull out her cards. And she's trying to summon the Morrigan. Oh, a snap. Because at this point, we're pretty sure that Biel's wants nothing to do with the spark. Or is just does not have the same drive to get it that the other siblings do. Like, because this was another thing from 50, right? We saw the flashback of, like, Biel's literally saying, that's your problem. I want the Morrigan. If you, you can go follow the spark all you want. I'm, I'm getting that bird. Mm-hmm. I like this. That's it's genius, by the way, to have you summon it back. <laughs> um, but I do want to pause it mm-hmm. before you summon this card. Mm-hmm. There is shouting from outside of Beelz's home, and that dark curtain flaps in the wind a little bit more, and we hear Azazel, Beelz, Aiden's group, they're back on the map. We can sense the spark again, and. Beelzebub hurriedly like throws open a window and says, get inside. I'm already watching. Oh, fuck yeah. And through the curtain, a red lightning bolt crashes into one of the shelving units in Beelzebub's space. And Azazel just sort of appears, placing herself within Beelzebub's home. Needlessly dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> you could have just... The door is right there. <laughs> no, and, and what happens is you then see a hand push the curtain away and Asmodeus just walks in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. And it just says, keep your fucking panties on. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
Esmodeus just pulls like a conscious shell out of his coat and sets it on the table and you hear Leviathan's voice. <laughs> Leviathan's on speaker. That's great. She can't come to the place. She's stuck in her fucking little pond. But we got the sound of the ocean with us. Yeah. Just put your ear up to it. It's so fucking good. I love that. Leviathan is like, put me closer. I can't hear. <laughs> Speak louder. It's just her whining and spewing like, is it Edgecrest? <laughs> Let me know if it's him. Oh, that's so good. So yeah, PLs is rushing about their space, making a mess. Like they're not being careful at all with what they're doing. The thing that they had been stitching together furiously on their work table, they grip it and they look to their siblings and say, why not a second? And Azazel reaches forward and so does Asmodeus and a dark tentacle extends from the conch shell and places itself on the other three of their hands and Whatever BLs is holding glows, and before we see what it has become, they hurl it into the cauldron. The hunters from Autumn Falls see walking out of the forest is an exact copy of Snallagaster. Ooh! Yes! Ooh! So, what are you doing in this step of your dream sequence plan? Brittany, since we're like, I-, I can just use another flashback if we want to discuss things in person. Yeah. I- I've got flashbacks to burn. Or Hugo could burn somewhere you could. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Okay, we're flashing back. All right, so yeah, the force has come up. Ringing it back. We're no longer in um, the football field. We're on stage. We're rehearsing. Whitaker's got like a little like director's megaphone and a seat with his name on it. (laughs) And he's got like something that looks like a script, but like, you know, in dreams, whenever you try to read shit, there's no actual like writing on it. Just garbled writing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What are we feeling for the next scene? Oh, actually, do we want... Hugo, because in real life, a day keeps asking about this. Do we want Hugo to bring up the point of how are we keeping Beelzebub convinced this is a dream? Ooh, good, 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 good. Because good, good, good. I literally have it in my notes that we were going to try and have Snallagaster show up to try and solidify right. this is real life. This is the monster you summoned. He's here now fighting us. So it works out really well. Yes, you do have to solve the question of how do you keep BLs engaged in this dream that you're setting up instead of realizing that it is fake. Yeah, because I was literally just about to ask that in the scene, but I want to give that to a day since he has been our person of like, but how are we keeping this realistic? Mm-hmm. How are we making sure BLs is convinced? But I don't know. Raise the question a day. Like Hugo can just ask that question and then ask it and we'll discuss it in character. Okay, so just to make sure I'm following things, we make a forest, we're there. How do we make sure that Beelz doesn't just wake up? Well, we've got a couple of pieces of bait, right, to keep them engaged. We've got the spark on one hand, or at least a version of the spark, and we've got uh, Raven with um, another version of the Morrigan. Those are two bits of bait that we can keep stringing them along with. But yeah, I imagine as things get a little more crazy, it might not be enough to just have things to keep them engaged. How do we get away from Salagaster? Maybe we don't. Whitaker's flipping (laughs) through the script like, this isn't written in here. 
we don't get away from Snallygaster. Maybe we don't. We need Beelzebub to believe that this is real life. Maybe we have the Snallygaster show up and fight us in the dream. We're controlling the fight already. Why not pick an opponent we recognize? All right. Huh. Reasonable. And then what? At that moment, Coraline, who is sort of just... She's got her own director's chair near us. <laughs> yeah, no, what it is is, is we... <laughs> pan out and the theater and the director's chair that you're all on is on another stage <laughs> and she's out there with a beret and a little cigarette in her own director's chair. <laughs> God damn it. And her own script that she's flipping through that has nothing on it. And she takes a sip from a dream coffee which isn't real <laughs> and calls out to you all and she says what if Biel's thinks they win? What happens if they get what they're chasing? They get a spark, or they get the Morrigan, even. Yeah. What happens when Beelzebub finally gets what they want? Let's find out. Yeah. Maybe we see what happens when they finally get what they're chasing. Huh. Coraline nods, and she says, Remember, you don't have to win. You can lose as long as you don't believe you've lost. Now I'm going to speak as Natalie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I literally was sitting here going... How the heck are they going to convince BLs? Natalie, it's in my fucking notes that we lose this fight. <laughs> yeah, this this was like... <laughs> You're so on it. <laughs> you said we don't, and I was like, they fucking figured it out. Yeah, well, that's what it was going to get into. <laughs> I didn't want to get there too quickly, but yes, that's exactly where we're going. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. BLs needs to see Damien lose and Snallagaster take the spark and bring it back to the place apart. That's what the Damons need to come to our world. Yep. Yes. Are you okay with Coraline saying that or do you want to keep it a surprise? Yeah, no, I like I it. I think that's fun. Okay. I, I like that the planning we did out of game is turning into the planning in game so it makes sense. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotta make use of that flashback system. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise we just wouldn't use flashbacks and we would just have a heist and it wouldn't make any sense because heists are only fun when you see the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, this is very good. It's so good. <laughs> this is our only chance to play in this really fun Doctor Strange Inception world, and I want to play in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can maybe do another scene or two and then do a flashback to establish what we want as the end game in character. That flashback we just did with Coraline saying you guys can lose, was that not like a, a good establishment of I think it's I think it's getting there. I feel like I want one more with our end game plan, because this is like the bringing in Snallagaster, the summoning the Morrigan yeah, stuff. I see, I Let's see. Let's do a couple more things. Okay. Set up the trap and then flashback, like, all right, here's what we're doing. Yeah. You guys have figured out the lie you're gonna tell for this segment of the dream, and so now you have to execute on that and make it convincing. Okay. So right now, the current goal in the forest is just fight Snallagaster and... And maybe do those little vignettes we talked about of like pulling them into one-on-one stuff. Yeah, because we could maybe have the flashback for the like final move as it's happening. We flashback and explain what we're doing. Then, Then we're good. Seems solid. Let's do it. You all are in the woods. Snallagaster is approaching you all. And this version of him does not banter as much. He goes to open his mouth to speak, but all that happens is dark ichor pours out and down his chest and just this high-pitched hissing noise. And quickly, 
the human guise vanishes as insectoid legs and tentacles and just awful, awful Frankenstein creation becomes the form of this thing with still that like dripping black ichor coming off the body and the feathers of some misshapen wings, which again clatter as if they were made of a hard plastic. Yeah. <laughs> he rushes you. Hunters, how do you fight the Snellagaster? Fighting Snellagaist, Whitaker is just going to live out uh, just a little dream of his own and have Damien do exactly what he wants him to do this time, <laughs> which is back him up, not get in his fucking way, and uh, give him, I don't know, ammo when he needs it, the sword when he needs it. Whitaker is attacking with the sword, and, and Damien is being the perfect supporting role. So Damien is like a little slime backpack on Whitaker? Yes, exactly. It's a slime backpack. He's like blocking attacks from like the insect legs as they're stabbing in. He's shielding him like a big umbrella from like any ichor blasting out at him. Mm. Yes. Whitaker is using Damien as like the perfect gooey shield, basically. Cool. And it works better than it ever could in real life because you're controlling all of it. And for a moment, Whitaker's like, God, I wish I could stay in this tree. This is great. You can't think like that. He just thinks it briefly for a moment. And then pushes that thought away and locks it in a box and stomps on the box. <laughs> Hugo, what is your tactic for this fight against Snellagaster? Hugo is teaming up with Aiden. He has replaced his Eskrima sticks with a spear and he's trying to work with her as a pair of essentially divine warriors oh that's so good it's so fortuitous what you have chosen hugo aiden's celestial weapon is a spear because she's a fucking valkyrie baby she's a goddamn paragon so hugo choosing to make a spear and then tossing it to aiden to fight in tandem with sells it even more to Biel's because she would be good using it because that's her oh, celestial weapon. That's so good. Hugo, you cracked it. Good fucking job, dude. <laughs> Damn. Anyway. That's amazing. Um, Thank you. Oh my God. Too much serendipity. I could not keep that a secret. No, that's so cool. I'm glad you told us. Anyway, you and Aiden with the spear back and forth. How is Hugo doing this? Does he copy himself and have another version of himself playing with the secondary controller? As like, second character, select, Aiden. And like, she pops into the video game? Yep, pretty much. And <laughs> nice. in combination with that, he also is standing on a dance pad. Yes! yes! Fuck! Yes! Fuck, that's oh, so fuck good! Yeah. That's incredible. So it's just Hugo doing DDR <laughs> and fucking having the game in his hand. And then the camera like shifts just five degrees to the left. And we see an exact copy of Hugo doing the same thing in sync with himself. Oh, my God. You remember in Scott Pilgrim? That's exactly what I was yeah. thinking of. Yep. <laughs> yep. That. They trade and hop over to the other pad and then hop back. <laughs> oh, I love that. And in the weirdest way, while this is all happening, we see Hugo smiling as if he's having fun. Oh, Hugo. Oh. I love that. You pull off the most amazing combos with Aiden as a copy of yourself. I didn't even make you guys roll. Fuck it.
It's the storytelling squad. We don't roll for things. Rule um, of cool. <laughs> Rule of cool. It's all cool, baby. Raven, what is your combo thing? Do you want to incorporate Felicity into this? And she said that she was here too. Originally, I wanted her to not be with us in the beginning. And if we needed her, we'd pull her in. You mentioned her being there, and I think that makes sense. That sells the fiction of this being real. Okay. Because Beals doesn't know she's left. Yeah, no, of course. We can still use the little the little backup plan if we need it. She could be hiding. Yeah. You know, you, you see her kind of dart out from behind the trees. She's been so scared. She's freaked out. Yeah. So you're going to pull the Morgan card. Yes. I like the idea of as, you know, Raven is running and getting ready to summon a card, we see like a quick like x-ray shot of the deck and it's all Morgan, 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 Morgan. Every single card is Morgan. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And she pulls it and she looks at it and she kind of gives the little face she always does of like, oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. Perfect feigned surprise. (laughs) And the card glows with your silver magic and out of the woods the silver dagger impales the card the black shadows swirl out of the hilt and then Raven you are in the Morgan cloak uh, having summoned its aspect hell yeah so why do you do that (laughs) because now Biel's has everything he wants in front of him and the other demons are it's sort of like a to reference an arcade thing again. It's that thing of like BL's like very intricately directing and puppeting Snallagaster while Asmodeus and Azazel are like shoving his shoulders like, oh my god, I get it! Yes! <laughs> You're gonna get the high score! Yeah, that kind of energy. Yeah. I think right off the bat, it's all of us fighting Snallagaster in this very choreographed but not too perfect fight. You know what I mean? We're taking some hits. We're dancing around each other. We're, we're mm-hmm. roughing each other up a little bit. We're, we're selling it. We're cool and strong, but not too much that it's suspicious. You know what? I think a perfect transition is to say we get a nice splash panel of all the hunters from Autumn Falls rushing at the Snallagaster in like a slow motion panoramic of the fight. And when the fight picks up again, it's the Sword of Damocles coming down and being caught by a pair of dark plastic feather wings extending out of Snallagaster's back. And we are back in the burning forest on Moth Girl's property with Aiden and Damien in the waking world. Hello, adventurers. Thanks for being here for another episode. I hope the flashback system we're using for this session isn't too hard to follow along with. If you really like this mechanic, you might enjoy playing Blades in the Dark, a game system that is powered by the apocalypse adjacent and has a flashback system similar to what we used. This isn't a sponsorship. I just know Blades is a solid system, so I'm happy to mention it. Our promo swap this week is with Whichever Path. Yes, spelled the fun way. Whichever Path is an anthology series where the listeners get to vote and affect the course of the story as it progresses. They set each standalone series in America's Northeast and feature characters from communities not often featured in New England-based storytelling. The heroes often find themselves tackling the supernatural and unknown, 
while the storytellers are sure to address topics like queer identity, gender, race, and spirituality within the narrative. Let's listen to their promo. From the twisted web of Boston city streets to the wilds of Maine, New England is a fertile ground for horror stories to spring from. Whichever path is an anthology series with a uniquely interactive element. Your choices guide each story, and those decisions drastically change the destiny of the protagonists, having a cumulative effect for better or for much, much worse. Help our protagonists navigate their way through tough situations, intersectional exchanges, and eldritch horror. Here, the audience has the chance to play either savior or agent of chaos. You can find Whichever Path wherever you get podcasts. Learn more at whicheverpath.com. Until then, sleep with a clear consequence. Choose your path. You can find Whichever Path at their website, www.whicheverpath.com. That's W-I-T-C-H-E-V-E-R-P-A-T-H dot com. Or on social media at Whichever Path. Time to pause this episode and leave us a review. Think you could toss some stars our way? Or maybe talk about us next time the topic of podcasts comes up amongst your friends. Or bring up the topic of podcasts with your friends so you can mention us. All of these are great small things that you can do for free to help support us. You might pay a small tax in your social cool stat if you're bringing up podcasts, though. Tread the waters of social interaction carefully, adventurers, but know that I believe in you. Thank you so much to our patrons for your continued support. As you know by now, we're constantly reinvesting your financial support into the show to make your experience listening that much more exciting and fun. The music in the show? Sure, I carefully select and adjust each track to heighten the drama or emotion of the scenes I add them to, but y'all help me pay for the service that allows me to use all that music in the first place. Thank you so, so much. If you'd like to contribute, patreon.com slash the Storyteller Squad. Link in the episode notes. And that's all for now. Let's conclude this dream heist before there's a dramatic twist and an 11th hour celebrity cameo or something weird like that. See you soon, adventurers. Damien, this is the first moment of Snallagaster summoning an inhuman part of himself. Like, aside from the claws, he's been fighting the two of you in his human guise, being ragdolled around occasionally, but essentially not taking on the monstrous form that it did immediately in the dream. Now that his wings are out, Snallagaster really pinches the blade. So much so, Damien, that if you're the one wielding it, you think if you keep holding this, he might snap it in half. Yeah, we're going to pull the blade back. I'm saying if you pull it more, he's just going to cut it like a pair of scissors. Oh. Because he's now tugging it and trying to take it from you. Damien is going to grab his face and sort of begin to pull it back. And what he's really doing is pulling the green back away from the spark to make the the glowing brighter and focusing on that. But then he's going to sort of cover it and uncover it 
really fast to make a strobe effect. Okay. Fuck yeah. Because this guy has so many eyes, so I think a strobe would be quite troublesome to someone who doesn't have uh, sunglasses for all of those eyes. I love that idea. Yeah, we can say that at some point in the fight, the headband that Snellagas usually wore around his face had been punched away or was gone, and so we did have the five eyes on his forehead. But yeah, I love that. You, you, rather than let your sword be taken, you just strobe flash him with the spark. Why don't you manipulate them? You have Dark Negotiator, don't you? I do. Yeah. I think this is like an intimidate move almost. You know, they all talk about staring into the abyss, but staring into the sun, staring into the light? Mm-hmm. Okay. Six on the dice plus two for charm is an eight. An eight, a mix. Okay. You do manage to get him to let go of the sword, but his reaction, Snallagaster takes one of his claws and rather than be blinded by this strobe effect, runs a claw along his hairline, causing that black ichor to just start to bleed down and coat the eyes creating a makeshift defense against this flashing that you're doing. A second set of wings quickly (laughs) sprout from his back and flap once very forcefully and violently and knock you and Aiden backwards. I'm gonna say like the sword goes tumbling into the woods somewhere. It's magic, it won't be hurt by the fire, but you get disarmed basically. Snellagaster rubs the ichor on his eyes, blinks a couple times through several sets of them. Once you are knocked back, he does not hesitate and flies forward with one set of wings flapping and the others just pointed forward at you, Damien, like a pair of cleavers ready to stick into you and shred you. Aiden, 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 Aiden. <laughs> I'm gonna have a roll to protect you. Miss Dagecrest, your footwork is terrible. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. Protect someone is tough. She got an eight plus three is 11. Oh, we'll take that. We're going to suffer less harm, which stacked with Aiden's already impressive defenses would give her four armor. I feel like I don't want a wing attack to be more than four harm base. <laughs> so as these sharp pointed feathers come at you, Damien, we see Aiden slide forward and her wings change. The feathers of her wings glow and then flash across like they've hardened into glass. And she places them forward in another sword lock maneuver and catches Snallagaster's wings with hers. And she starts to wield them the same way he is as she like forces them apart so she can make eye contact with him again. She looks up, glowing her skin, emanating light, and she says, You ever wonder why demon spawn can change their shape so easily? And her eyes flare with intensity and a second set of wings appear in a flash on her back, lifting her up so she's actually looking down at Snallagaster. It's because you're a shadow. My siblings and I figured out how to be malleable at the dawn of time. You're just playing with our old tricks. And gripping him with her first set of wings, she takes off into the sky with Snallagaster to give you time to recover and counterattack. Super cool. That was pretty rad. Celestials are made of light. If Aiden really needs to, she can change herself to be whatever she wants. What's that like? (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know, Damon. You're kind of also made of light at the moment. <laughs> you tell me. And can be whatever you want. <laughs> Natalie, when Aiden flies off, can there be a little buzzing sound? And you look and you see two tiny little wings on Damien's back. Just two little like. Oh. <laughs> just trying his best. You're trying his best, but absolutely cannot fly. Sure. And then does Damien turn into a bird because he remembers he can? <laughs> <laughs> it's two tiny little gloopy wings, like can't quite get off the ground. I'm like, oh, duh, it turns into an eagle. <laughs> Let's pivot back. As this version of Aiden takes off into the sky with Snellagaster, we cut to a different forest, a dark, gloomy one, and we see Snellagaster landing with his foot on Aiden's throat and just digging her into a trench in the ground as this fight starts to break bad and stops only because her head hits a tree and there is a sharp and she just lays there. Limp in the ground, unresponsive. Snallagaster holds Aiden up by the neck, and the front chest cavity splits open with dark tar stringing and being pulled apart at the ribs like teeth of a mouth, and just swallows her. Raven screaming on her knees, freaking out, screaming. <laughs> oh, yeah. You see the eyes of Snallagaster's beak like face. Flash red like a furnace burning and empowering him. And it turns to face the rest of you. Whitaker drops the sword and for a moment he forgets to puppet Damien as well. And Damien just like slooshes onto the ground like it's just an inanimate pile of Nickelodeon slime. Mm -hmm. Felicity too, I think, is just also kneeling in anguish just kind of mirroring Raven. We cut to the double Hugo. Black tendrils shoot out of the screen, grab that Hugo, and pull him into the screen, shredding him apart. Oh. And we see a flashing game over sign on that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The game over still flashes, even though the glass is cracked and broken, and there's just a dark void behind it. Whitaker looks like he's about to retch for a moment, and then he looks over at Raven, and uh, mouths, I'm gonna do it. And I think, Brittany, mm -hmm. would we like to flash back once more? Yes. Is this your final flashback, Whitaker? This will be Whitaker's final flashback, yes. Okay. There's no fun, fancy dream decor this time around. It is just him, Hugo, and Raven at the little, tiny little kitchen table in the trailer. And Coraline is also there, I guess. He's got like a newspaper out in front of him on the table. And again, it's a dream. You can't really read anything and you can't really understand the picture. But you know when like AI art was not evil yet? Mm -hmm. and it was just showing really weird abstract images. Mm -hmm. Yeah, strange geometries. and Yeah, this there's a strange like red and black, nasty, hellish, gory something on the front page and you can imagine there's probably some um headline of like you know dc subway massacre mm. whitaker looks at all of them and he looks to Coraline specifically and he says if we get them really invested in the dream how far am i allowed to push things what do you mean by allowed how far until they wake up or realize what's going on you know when you're having a good dream 
and you wake up a little too early, but you try and fall back asleep. And if you're lucky, you can pick back up where you left off. Yeah, I remember them. You want them to do that subconsciously as much as possible. Get them to chase the narrative thread. Get their imagination hooked on the story you're telling them. That's how you keep someone trapped in a dream. You make it better than waking up. If our job is give them a dream they wouldn't want to wake up from, there's something I need to do. Raven, I'm going to need to borrow something of yours. What did you have in mind? Are we still in the flashback or are we back in the fight? I think we're back in the fight. We just needed that bit from Coraline. Yeah, flashback's over. Was that helpful advice from her? I hope that was... Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. It was good for later, too. Whitaker, when you say, I'm going to do it, you have now given the code phrase to everyone, it's time to lose. Yes. Yeah, because I definitely want Raven to do something in anguish after losing Aiden. To stay in character, she needs to freak out. I think it makes sense for you guys to have just been waiting for some trigger to say... Now they'll think they've got the upper hand. Yeah, the first light is dispatched. Maybe Hugo intentionally had the thought of like, what if I play Aiden a little less tough? And then she was, and then that was the thing. Yeah. We pick up in the fight from Coraline saying, you have to make it better than waking up. Whitaker reanimates the slime again. Damien's up and he leaves him sort of bobbing there on the ground and picks up the sword and goes in to rush Snellegeister. He is resorting back to like just blind anger at this point, which is not hard to find with seeing, you know, what just happened to Aiden. And he is purposefully not having his guard up as he goes. It is nothing but blade swinging. Whitaker goes up and charges Snellegaster. The anguish of losing a friend and the anger and just being done with it. Being so over this fight, which is not just this fight against Snallagaster, but the fight you've been fighting since you left Autumn Falls and saying, I've had it. I'm going to do as much as I can, but I'm done trying to protect myself if it means we keep not winning. And we see Whitaker rush forward and slash and the Sword of Damocles lights up and cuts through, just carving pieces off the Snallagaster's monstrous form. But eventually a hooked barb gets Whitaker in the side. He riches himself free of it and slices it off. And then a wing comes and rakes up his back and he drops to one knee. <sighs> plunges the sword into the ground to hold up his weight and then flips it up to cut that wing away. Ooh. And eventually the beak on Snallagaster lances forward and pins Whitaker into the dirt through his chest. <coughs> Coughs up blood. And then just flings him to the side and Whitaker lies in the dirt, bleeding out. As Hugo sees Whitaker go flying, his tattoos start to light up and then more tattoos light up and more tattoos light up. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and he just, mimicking Aiden's fighting style, he just starts running in and throwing fists as best as he can. The tattoos burn so white hot that they just burn through whatever shirt Hugo has on. And we see them tracing, not in black, but in the white of them activated etching more scroll work and tessellated designs all over your rib cage, down your abs, past the belt line, down your legs and thighs. But most importantly, a circle begins to form around where your heart is. 
forming the compass shape of the whispering tattoo that starts at your wrist. And within it, a flame lights and flickers. This tattoo is in motion. And as he keeps punching, all the rest of the tattoos begin to break through the skin and we see steam start to come out of them and then fire. And then we see his punches start to slow down as if he can't keep up with it. Mm -hmm. His body stops moving and almost as if the fire is going out, we see the smoke begins to turn into fibers, threads, and they just start to ascend up into the sky. The light that was behind Hugo's eyes as he begins this furious assault, bludgeoning Snallagaster up against the trunk of one of these ancient sequoia, smashing it to pieces. The issue is Snallagaster is in some ways a slime like Damien. And so the blunt force does not actually cause lethal damage. It just forms back around where it has these massive indents punched into it. And as you lose steam, it rises out of you and the flame on your chest begins to dwindle like a dying candle in the cold and flickers and flickers and flickers and is snuffed out. And that space around your heart is empty and devoid of light. And slowly all the tattoos lose their light and Hugo collapses forward, completely burned out from within. Jesus Christ. But what we see in the space beyond space is the arcade cabinet, the game playing out on it, the controls are moving, no one's touching them. Mm. We see Hugo walking to a door, flicks a light switch, closes the door behind him. Fuck yeah. Raven, you're the last one left. Raven runs up to Whitaker's body to try and check and see if there's any hope of healing him. He's gone. Yeah, of course, it takes a moment. She comes up to him, realizes there's no hope, and she goes to attack Schnellegeist as the Morgan, just swiping, screaming, careless, blind rage. You come in at Schnellegeister with the cloak, and one of the tentacles wraps around you and lifts you up and brings you forward. Oh, no. One eye shifts to you, but the rest focus in on Damien. Mm-hmm. But from the one eye, which pulses a little brighter, you hear Biel's voice. You lose. And Schnellegeist's tendrils, claws, bladed wings all lurch forward at Damien, who does not evade. And the dark pieces of Schnellegeist pierce Damien encircle the spark and then rip his form apart and green goo splatters everywhere. Raven's stabbing at the tentacle holding her, just absolutely senseless. In vain. Yeah. You just stab in and it's like stabbing a bucket of black water. Yeah. And the spark in Schnellegeist's hand retreats back to its body and you just hear Beelz's haunting laugh. <laughs> Hold that thought. I'll be right there. Schnellegeist swallows the spark, glows golden from within, and explodes. And Raven in the cloak, you drop to the ground. But we cut to the place apart. 
The spark raises up out of the cauldron in that strange Frankenstein stitched together creation that represented Snallagaster in Beelzebub's workshop. And Azazel immediately shoots a hand forward towards it. But Asmodeus grabs her wrist and says, Wait! Beelz reaches a hand forward and another hand forward and another hand forward and cups them all around the spark. We just see Beelz's red eyes within the hood glow brightly and he says, No! And there's another flash and we cut back to the forest where Raven is surrounded by the bodies of her friends. Raven stands up. She's kind of beaten and bloodied a bit. She's still in the full Morrigan attire, just like hood up, nails long, just like absolutely lost herself. And she is going to reach through reality and her hand is going to come up out of the cauldron and grab Beelzebub and pull him through. So he shows up in this clearing with Raven. Yeah, baby. Beelzebub can finally fight their nemesis in person. Is this not something they'd always want? It very much is. I'm wondering if the, like, reaching through the cauldron works at that point. Shh, let it happen. Natalie, so I'm going to be really honest with you. There was a, a vignette that I wanted to do, and it is going to be a lot fucking weirder <laughs> than a hand reaching through a cauldron. <laughs> you got to let us have this. Um, so if, if we're, like, having issues with the cauldron bit, I'm just not going to do my thing. I'm okay, just, no, no, just, no, that's fine, that's fine. I can roll if you want to see if it's convincing enough. I think what it is, that represents the dream. I like this as you all in the dream space, in the flash that's happening within Beelz's home, there's an invisible sort of ghostly raven that reaches, reaches up, up through the yeah. cauldron. Mm pulls BLs down, and then we we cut to the scene again. It's Raven as like full Morrigan, like they're morphing together even more. And it's Morrigan's hand coming up out of the cauldron. Mm, yes, 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 yes. That also sells it too of like, BL's just believing it of like, oh, this is my chance. It's, it's Morrigan, we can duke this out now. And like not even really resisting getting pulled in. Yeah, I'm 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 being sold on the on the Morgan pulling them through the cauldron rather than him just teleporting out with the spark yeah. saying like they reach through pull him out of the fight and then the other demons are just like banging on the surface of the cauldron unable to like come through after. I like them fighting over it. Yeah, yeah, no, I like that too, but like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, you pull BLs through the cauldron and they are now in the world clutching the spark in their hand. Okay. Natalie can we take a second to answer your question from earlier about Biel sensing the Morrigan, even though we've been inside Coraline's barrier from the start? Ooh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Um, hit me. We are not touching the barrier. Okay. The feeling that Beelzebub has that the Morrigan is back and is able to be sensed, we did that to Beelzebub because in the place apart where we start is where the dream started. And we are the siblings. <sighs> and we are putting that feeling on Beelzebub. It is all fake from that point. That scene in the place apart, entirely a dream. 
Oh my God. Flashback to that scene and it's all of us piloting the siblings. That's why there's no conversation because Beelzebub starts in the dream and they're with their siblings and they're arguing and it's just normal and they accept it. And then we, in the dream, force that feeling to them of, oh, I can sense these kids. I can sense the Morrigan. I need to go take care of this. And it starts it off not even questioning it. So you're all the demon lords in the hut with Beelz in that moment. Yes. Can we flashback to when the three of us decided to do that as our characters? I could spend a flashback on that. Yes, go for it. Okay, so we know what we're going to do once we actually get the dream going, but how are we going to really sell it? It needs to start somewhere familiar so they don't notice that it's a dream at first. It can't be too weird and too different. Huh. Oh, oh no. I don't like that tone of voice, Hugo. What are you thinking? I'm thinking Aiden's not going to like this. If Aiden's not going to like it, I'm not going to like it. What's the plan? The plan is, let's forge some sibling bonds. Oh, shut up. I'm not going to say it's the best idea, but it's something familiar. They're a team already of all the people that they could possibly trust. Oh, they'd never suspect, would they? And that's exactly why this is the perfect plan. That's why Aiden's going to fucking hate it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Aiden walks into Coraline's living room with a bowl of popcorn. What am I going to hate? I don't want to say it. Ra- Raven, would would you? It's your fucking idea, Hugo. <sighs> so, Aiden, how much can you tell us about your siblings? And I don't mean who they are and what they do. I mean about them in the sense of what makes them a family? What makes them them? What could help us pretend to be them? She sets the bowl down at the coffee table and walks over and sits down next to you, Hugo. Well, actually, she kneels in front of you and she reaches a hand out and holds Raven's and just sort of pats your legs and activates her soothe ability because without realizing it, you all are remembering your very brief glimpse into the place apart. (gasps) And you are all crying. Oh. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to fucking recreate that place. Yeah. And Aiden just bites her lower lip. What you need to know about my family. <laughs> and we cut and we see the scene again in Beelzebub's place. We see a tentacle reaching out of the conch shell towards the spark. We see Asmodeus gripping Azazel's wrist so tightly that it would snap a normal person's bones. And she's gritting her teeth and glaring at him as red lightning crackles through her hair. But we see the ghostly images of Raven, her hand out, and Hugo with his hand just sort of calmly rested across her wrist. And Whitaker curled up in the conch shell. A tentacle sock puppet, like, (laughs) (laughs) a little googly eyes on it, like. (laughs) Oh my God. And we see that all of you have been playing the demon lords from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's been us the whole time, baby. I've been here the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying not to say the exact thing, but you know what, we deserve it. Well done, well done. All right. Yeah, I like the idea that the siblings just share this little moment after Beelzebub is pulled through. There's a just like a second of silence, and then they all just make eye contact and kind of let out a breath of relief that it worked. 
There's like salt water dripping from the conch. It's just Whitaker fucking crying. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, oh, this place fucking sucks. Can we get out of here? Like, oh now? god, let's get out of here. Yep. <sighs> the rotting barrow mound blows away, and you guys walk through a door and leave this part of the dream you've constructed. Is there a way we can do the transition? I think this is where we've done our little switcheroo. Okay. So um, you've got Beelzebub, you've got the spark. Morgan rips Beelzebub down and says, I don't get too comfortable. I'm going to put you in the fucking ground. And the two of them descend into the earth, into darkness. Do you want to have a super quick flashback? I'll use my point for it to just explain what we did. Yeah, I want an explanation here. This is very cool. Yeah, Brittany, since it's your power I'm borrowing, this is your flashback? Yeah. One of two, right? You've still got one left? Yes. I am giving Miles credit for this entirely because we've talked about heists a lot. And he said, we have to have a scene where we're planning things out and we have a little like hastily drawn map. And then there's like random objects that represent the different people. Yes, I love that. And so I think that's us. We've got a big table and it's it's Raven and Whitaker. Raven's explaining what just happened in the fight. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> she's got a little plastic Raven that is her, just like a little kid's toy. It's one of her pins. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay, so she's got her little pin. And she has a second pin next to it that's a cool little dagger. And it's like a D&D reference. It says Rogue on it. It's really cute. And so there's the Raven pin and the dagger pin. And Whitaker's the little silver top hat Monopoly piece. Yeah, she takes the little dagger pin and slides it over to the top hat and then switches their places. Mm-hmm. And so before they pulled Beazelbub into this clearing, they have metaphorically passed the dagger. And so now Whitaker is the Morrigan and Raven is masquerading as dead Whitaker on the ground. Okay. Raven's handed the mantle of the Morrigan over so Whitaker can have a moment with Beelzebub and keep his focus solely on them because everyone else in the scene is dead or gone. Whitaker's plan is to give Beelzebub a nightmare to wake up from. If what's happening right now is the good reality that Beelzebub wants to stay in, I want Whitaker to give them like one bad thing to run from. It is a brief detour of like, this is a nightmare, this is bad, you don't want this, so that they can come back to the forest and come back to the spark and be like, all right, I'm gonna stay right the fuck here. It's like a trick to prove that in the clearing is real life by having Morrigan give them a little nightmare. I am on the edge of my seat. Take me on this ride. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I saw your face and I was like, I was like, does that make sense? Is that like- <laughs> You have my rapt attention. Please continue. Okay. All right. We do a little switcheroo. You got it. I think this will work. Flashback's over. The two of them are falling. And maybe for Beelzebub, that sensation might be painstakingly familiar. They fall through soil and stone and groundwater and bedrock until thunk. Lights flicker on with like a dull, static sound. Beelzebub and the Morgan are moving through the underground on a train. People sway and rattle with the movement of the train car. Some have earbuds in, some are reading books or checking their phones. 
No one's looking at the two of them, as weird as they might look. The Morgan catches a pull as the train moves and rocks from side to side, steadies herself, steadies Beelzebub for a moment, and she looks at him and says, Pretend that you're human. And for a moment, Beelzebub is not this hooded, many-armed beast, but they look like how they looked in the flashback, just a small person with like a little fringe of hair uh, in a hoodie, standing on the train next to Morgan, who's also just a kind of casual goth in a black hoodie and black hair. Imagine all you know in one day. Not the earth, not the things on it. You. Imagine you're mortal. Imagine life is as precious and satisfying and rewarding as anything you've ever created or ever laid to rest. They look around and there's people on the train living their life, a person reading a newspaper, a woman rocking a baby. The train screeches, slows, everyone jolts forward a bit, and once again the Morgan steadies BLs against them. Easy there, she says, and then exits the train. And as she gets off, a familiar figure walks on. Snella Geist enters the DC train car, licks his lips, and then the train goes dark as it accelerates into the tunnel. Shots of light from the tunnel illuminate the scene. Blood screaming. Sometimes it's Snella tearing through bone like it's butter. And then in brief, strobe-like flashes. Sometimes it's this thin, long-haired individual with two long canines slipping through necks and spraying the desks into the office chairs of the London agency with blood. Whitaker is projecting his own nightmare onto Beelzebub. And then the incline of the train increases. Beelzebub is accelerating upwards, flashes of light, dark blood, red, crashing through stone and rebar and concrete. And then suddenly, boom, they're back in the forest. And everything is just as it was again. Fuck, dude, that was so cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Holy shit. <laughs> do you want me to roll for any of that? No. <laughs> but I do want to slightly change the ending. Feel free. The ending is the part I care least about. The train rushing through the tunnel, all this carnage and destruction happening. And as it slows to a stop, the door is open. And Schneller Geist steps out the way he did. And the Morrigan is standing on the platform. There's no one else. And her human guise morphs back into the hooded figure with the feathers on the face uh, and the long gloves with the bird-clawed fingernails and the cloak of feathers. And Schnellegeist smiles and takes the bandana away from their eyes and does not reveal the many eyes of Schnellegeist but reveals a set of golden amber eyes with the diamond pupil the same as Aiden's. And he pulls a hand out of a pocket, holding the spark, and the rest of him morphs into the human form of Biel's as wings extend out his back. And he just says, I'm not scared anymore. And in a teleport, of angel wings, 
Biel's is gripping the Morgan by the throat and lifting her up, and the subway station melts away in shadow as her illusion is dispelled, and Biel's is still in their celestial form, but their wings blacken. Mm-hmm. Their human clothes, the Snallagaster outfit, becomes the tattered, waving, dark cloth, and the eyes go from amber to red. But that's the last of the changes, as they pull their staff from nowhere, and it sprouts with mushrooms and lichen and everything as it did once before, no longer just a dead piece of wood, and they ram it through the Morrigan's body. Fuck. And from where it has been forced through, fungus just starts to blossom and bloom and take over and sprout from cheek and skin. And they say, your world will rot. And they squeeze their fist and the Morgan's body crumples apart into decay. Um, Brittany, was there a thing you wanted to do as the Morrigan? <laughs> I was going to ask. We can roll it back, but that's my idea for a way to end that scene. That, okay, but like, can I fucking say insane, Natalie? Yes. Holy, Holy shit. shit that's <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Would it have been Whitaker coming out of that scene? Because it would still be Whitaker as the Morrigan, and then Raven can do something else. Yes. Okay. Um, bah, 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 bah. yes. So that form of the Morgan crumbles away. And I guess, Whitaker, what, what are you doing in the dream space in that moment? I, this, that Whitaker dies again, I guess. But that is the <laughs> last thing I had for Whitaker to do. He just needed to, like, ram home the emotional importance of, hey, you massacred a bunch of people. So <laughs> yeah. he is going to pass this off to the true mantle of the Morgan at this time. We see Whitaker holding a little doll of the Morrigan, which dries up and turns to dust. I like that. Yeah, if I want like a fun thematic thing for for Whitaker, I think it's like Polaroid photos on top of like a little case file. Mm. And all of them, instead of like the way Polaroids like, you know, slowly fade into view, they just fade out and he closes the case file, puts yes. it away, yes. closes the little locker door. Incredible. Fuck yeah. In the air, Aiden, four wings, Schnellegeist, four wings, clashing like swords as they rocket upwards. Schnellegeist has his hands clasped around Aiden's throat. She's clawing at his forearms with one arm and slugging him in the ribs with the other. Fist after fist of divine energy. They're flying so fast and they're so caught up in struggling with each other that they actually impact with the shield. Yeah, at the top. It works both ways for Schnellegeist, and he hits first. There's no runes on this, so they just and scrape along the roof of the domed shield. Sparks flying, his flesh being burned as Aiden continues to flap her four wings to really run him into this magical defense. But he gets one good punch in as he like lets go of trying to choke her out and decides to go more direct physical and the two of them drop and spiral, and we see a zoomed out shot of Coraline's big fancy modern house with all the huge glass windows. (laughs) 
and just... And they crash through a bedroom window and wall. The pristine, modern influencer aesthetic is being wrecked. We see them tearing through the house, breaking things, knocking things over. Trey and Screech go flying off like, oh shit, oh, get out of here, man. Damien, how are you catching up in this moment? Damien has found a tree with a couple branches and he's grabbed on with one hand to one base of the tree and he grabs onto the branch with the other and he begins walking backwards and stretching himself out <laughs> into yeah. a big slingshot. Incredible. Uh, yeah, uh, you slingshot yourself <laughs> and fly in the air. Do you change in the air into something? Because you're headed right for the house. Ooh. Yeah, he can turn into a bird. We can Paragon Falcon and dive with attack speed. Okay. Aiden and Schnella guys separate. And she stands up, shakes some of the glass out of her wings. He does the same. Her second set kind of fades a little as she's getting tired. Whereas he starts to grow that like spiky, inky fur through his clothes. More of the feathers jut through. He looks around the house and says, you're being quite selfish, First Light. Trying to keep me all to yourself. Where are your little friends hiding, I wonder? And goes to turn from her. We see her eyes dart outside for a second, and then she just grabs him by his wings and tries to like hold him in place a little bit longer. He flicks her off. She hits a stud in a wall and just drops for a second. And he says, You will have to try harder than that, First Light. Is your power fading already? <sighs> to be honest, I just needed to keep you there for a second. And we see a shadow cast on Schnallagaster from the window. Damien, you start to plummet. <laughs> and just whale sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. Translation, get F. <laughs> a humpback whale, completely green, smashes into Coraline's house. Holy oh shit. Oh my god. Oh, I hope she had insurance. Decimates the structural integrity of the, of the building, but it smashes Snallygaster super badly. Now, Damien, I will say, that's a kick some ass roll. Yeah. <laughs> if I've ever heard one. Yeah. Uh, you have to see whether that's the one or the six. Oh, baby. It was the six. That is a 12 plus one for 13. Wow. Can the fact that he's a big whale and not able to hold that shape, whale into slime, can I use the life drain to heal Aiden? Because Damien really doesn't need it. She technically doesn't need any healing either right now. Okay, she's got the forearm. Okay. You know, his wings, she was able to block that forearm, so. Okay, cool. Then we'll just double it. Yeah, you do a bunch of harm to him. Uh, he's really fucked up after being squished and shoved through construction. But I will say, if you're doubling harm, you're not taking no harm. As you are starting to form back into slime, you're on top of Schnallagaster. You're his target. So you do feel his claws shoot up into you as he sort of comes around to try and get at the spark in you. 
He's digging his molten claws through your green form, trying to get at that spark, which I guess you're keeping in your face or like- Yeah, we'll keep it in the face. So he's reaching for it. What do you do? How do you get out of there? Aiden, 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 Aiden. He's <laughs> 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 <Is that> for <laughs> help again. <laughs> Um, which is good, I suppose. Uh, let's see. Am I above? I guess I'm above him. You're on top of him, but I will say at this point, he is going to go full monster, but he's not going to turn into a monster and then sit up. His body just starts to shift into his monstrous form so that it stands instead of being on its back. You know what I mean? Like he transforms backwards and it doesn't matter because he's transforming. I'm going to headbutt him. <laughs> okay. Except that when I headbutt him, Damien is going to have the scopes from the weapons he stole protrude from his face so that when his spark light is going forward, it goes directly into the eyes of the Schnalligaster. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I'd like to blind him, cut off his connection to these people who like to use his eyes for seeing. Ooh, okay. Act under pressure. You're being hurt right now. You're trying to pull off a, a strategic thing here. Uh, plus one is nine. Okay. You do manage to shine, you know, more of this spark light directly into some of his eyes. Let's flash back again. Let's flash back to you and Aiden training some more. You've done your dance training sequence. And now it's back to her having you punch the trunk of a tree to try and summon offensive energy and potential from the spark within you to channel into your attacks. And it's not going well. You just can't seem to get this thing to do anything when you ask it to. Give me a little bit of that scene. Okay, so Aiden, I, I hate this tree. This tree in particular. And I could punch it all day. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm down for that. But I'm not doing anything. Like, I got the spark. I'm, I'm telling it to give me the super punch and give me the wings and give me the toys, but it, it's not. It's not doing any of those things. It's not doing anything that I want it to. She stands up and comes over and her fist glows with the golden energy and she holds her hand out to you. Yeah, Damien will hold out his hand. She takes it and she says, this power is yours now and you can be stubborn i don't think you can tell it what to do you've got to ask and she'll give you a little squeeze and then step back and gesture at the tree again okay sparky let's go buddy so we see damien rear back and think like come on sparky your fist lights up and as it charges forward, we see it shape into your head and we're back in the moment and with the scopes coming out and you bam, headbutt Schnellegeist and the scopes crack, but they flash bright like a flashbang and a wave of force just hits Schnellegeist in the face and his head snaps back and hits the linoleum floor of Corey's house and cracks it. You've done it. You have attacked with the spark's energy, and you see the wound on Snellegeist's head is very similar to the punch wounds that Aiden has been giving him. But you have not left his body, and so he reaches a hand and it grows through you again, life draining as it travels, not getting the spark quite yet, but stealing your energy, your innate Damien life energy. Aiden is gonna roll to protect you. Thank you. 
plus. Her tough is a nine. She flies forward and with her wings out, cuts the arm that Schnellagaster has in you off. Leaps forward, flips upside down, her wings scissor cut the arm. She grabs you as she's continuing to vault over and just hurls you out the window and away from him. Fuck yeah. You go sprawling into the grass and down a hill and we lose sight of you. Now she is floating in the air, finishing this front flip. And because she rolled a mixed success, the danger is focused on her. Schnellegeist whips forward and with his wings, backhand smacks her through a wall. (sighs) And as Schnellegeist stands and just walks through the building, taking out another structural support, another portion of it collapses, falls onto a very expensive looking car in the driveway. (laughs) And we see in the backyard where you've all wound up, the human sitting in meditation with Coraline and her one eye flickers open. Schnellegeist can't see Damien right away, but he's breathing and panting pretty hard. So he looks over at the humans and says, Perhaps I will have a snack before I finish you off. And goes for the humans. And Aiden pushes herself up, covered in the debris. No! Raven! Aiden rushes forward. She flies at the group of you. And we see Snellegeist's hand reach for Raven. And Aiden is not there in time. No! And Schnellegeist's hand passes through Raven's body and continues forward, passing through Coraline and Whitaker and Hugo and skids to a stop and turns around. What? What is this? The forms of the humans and Coraline sitting on the tiled outdoor patio flicker and disappear in ruins on the ground. And we follow a through line through the wreckage out to a little corner where we see Rianne, his tattoos glowing and casting spells from his Bible, which is full of spell pages tacked in. We gotcha, motherfucker. Ouch! (laughs) Yes! (laughs) Yo! At this point, Screech and Trey fly back down sweep away some debris and open a hatch. And Adrian Lucas comes out carrying a Gatling gun, (laughs) sets it down. You are not on the list. Fuck, yes, fuck, yes. Oh my God, the whole gang's here. And starts tearing into Schnellegeist's form with these like, (laughs) I don't know what a big caliber of bullet is, but they're fucking huge slugs. Just ripping pieces of Snellegaster apart. Oh my God. Damien, you get up from where you barreled into the grass. Aiden looks at you, looks back at all the other people you've planned this trap with. Damien, like we planned, let's finish this. Aiden, I'd like to order a double maple donut with sprinkles on top. (laughs) And the two of them begin sort of like they were dancing earlier. Mm -hmm. The donut is going around double. They go around twice. As they're doing this, Damien is dropping off 
the guns that he picked up from the poachers. And as each one falls, the camera catches a quick glimpse and notices that the ammo cartridges aren't there, which is a little odd. And as they're flying up, Damien says, and some whipped cream on top. So as they're spinning and flying around together, they spin above the schnalligaster and Damien pulls out all of the knives that he stole from the poachers, turns them inwards to make an upward facing point and the laser sights on the guns are all in a circle around him, pointing up towards the middle, getting refocused and right above the point of daggers is all of the ammunition and a cherry on top. And just like what happened to Whitaker earlier at the carnival, we're gonna charge these up. So there's this glowing red hot orb and then the checkoff guns go off. Because if you remember back to gun safety videos, you can unload the clip, but there's still a bullet in the chamber. So then all of the guns go off from all the various directions. And then Damien says, no stem. <laughs> Aiden was sort of just grabbing on to Damien uh, and she pulls him off and has to teleport because that red hot glowing ball is going to explode. So what happens is there is a circle of goo on the guns that is the trapping spell which traps him in place, so he's not allowed to leave that. But when you're also hit with a banishing spell from the cherry bomb, you can't leave that spot, but you're also not allowed to be in that spot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the flashback is one night when Damien and Aiden are outside the campground like outside the trailer and they're they're talking and Damien has two chalk circles set up on top of each other and there's a little pool of green in the middle and as he completes the spell the green is immediately expulsed to the outside because it's banished it can't be in there but it's trapped inside so it's trapped in a paradox and just disappears Aiden if you ever need to permanently get rid of someone she watches this happen and she says, I know what that's like. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Why would you say that? That's a lot of damage. Emotional damage. <laughs> Roll use magic. Just <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> Hey, what what um <laughs> <laughs> what role does Durst need to make? <laughs> so defeated. Roll <laughs> to use magic. That's where I was like, okay, so that's if everything works out well. <laughs> if it doesn't. Just roll it. <laughs> Dude, if this fails, I swear to God. Just roll a D20, a D100. I don't know. Flip a coin. Imagine rolling a fail on this. Oh my God. Uh, I'm going to post the two sixes that this group gave me with you, the green Damien oh dice what into the, the F fuck? chat. Get out. Oh, my God. This is the best week this group has ever had in our entire lives. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So 12 plus bonuses. 
uh, for magic would be plus two, so 14. Holy shit. <laughs> it's advanced, baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Jesus Christ. We thought we were going to be the ones throwing you for a loop, Natalie. I love the make him exist in a paradox as a solution to him. And also the unbelievably elaborate lead up because it's so Damien. <laughs> oh my God. It really is. I love that. I was like, oh, Durs is having a flashback during the scene. That's a cool way to do it, to kind of flip back and forth. And mm-hmm. then you also had another flashback after that to explain the banishing and the trapping. Yeah. Incredible. So good. So what happens? Yeah, Natalie, what does happen? (laughs) (laughs) Tell us in explicit detail what happens. Guns, lasers, onto a knife. So yeah, the knives are an upside down satellite dish. Okay, satellite dish of knives, laser, and then trapped within a ring. Okay, so Schnellegeist, its body vibrates as the banishing magic tries to take effect. And we hear it's struggling, and but it manages to say, I will just be back. But you and Aiden land, and Aiden just shakes her head. She says, there's nowhere for you to go. Welcome to my world, Schnellergeist. <sighs> and he reaches to get out of this banishment spell and hits the trap, and his hand bounces off it. And as it bounces off, like in the miniature double circle spell where the goo kind of just hit the edge and then vanished, his hand gets sucked into this invisible suction of force and begins to stretch like a black hole is stringifying his body. And it starts to pull and he tries to pull his arm back, but it just stretches, stretches, stretches. And parts of him also start to be pulled to the other edges of this double barrier you've created. Nine, nine, nine. And he just begins to be pulled apart strand by strand. And if you've ever looked at a colored liquid in a centrifuge, how it spins it around and creates the ribbons of liquid that are just being spun so fast that they form a moving, gyrating band of color. This is what happens to Schnellegeist's form. Just black color is now being spun through this rotating centrifuge of magic. And it just slowly collapses in on itself like a collapsing star (sighs) and is gone, leaving just a perfect spherical crater in the grass. And we don't even pan back to the celebrating group of people who managed to defeat Snellegeist. We pan over to the rubble to a different ground hatch and follow it down into Coraline's safe room where you all are sitting in that meditative state. She's holding the threads with the one eye open and her head sort of tilts up. Not bad, everyone. Let's finish this and closes her eye. And we return to the dream with Beelzebub, now fully thinking that they have made it to Earth with the spark in their possession. Mm-hmm. What happens now, Brittany? <laughs> Take us home, Brittany. <laughs> I'm going to do my damnedest. So out of the ashes and the fungus that fell from the Morrigan getting decomposed mm. out of Beelzebub's hands, 
tiny little mushrooms begin to grow and it comes up and reforms into the Morrigan as if nothing had happened. Mm. Like a really gross phoenix. Yeah, like a really nasty phoenix. Mm -hmm. And shakes herself off and says, you thought thought you could get rid of me that that easily? And she turns and she runs into the forest. Biel's pursues. Good. Ooh, <laughs> Riding his blackened wings, the cloak of shredded, rotting cloth just sort of flowing behind him. He, he is a mix of his former self and his current demonic self. No longer his body twisted, but the flavor of it changed by his rebellion. But yeah, he flies through the woods, these darkened, canopy, smothered sequoia trees. Yeah, and it's just these huge tree trunks. If his wings brush a tree, it instantly becomes punky wood and rots in place, almost petrifying, Mm -hmm. not collapsing and falling, but just rotting in place, becoming a structure on which fungus takes hold and replaces the trunk's strength with a mushroom pillar. So as... Beelz is pursuing. It's just the the trees whipping past. He can see the Morrigan like in the distance, in the dark, just barely, and she keeps getting a little bit further away, no matter how fast he flies. And he's flapping and going as fast as possible and then smashes up against something at full speed, and it shatters a bit, but stays. And Beelzebub sees himself in a mirror that he just rammed into. And if he turns and tries to go between another set of trees, smacks into another mirror. And then if he turns around and sees the Morrigan flip between two trees, goes to pursue, smash, it's another mirror. Mm. Everywhere they turn trying to escape, even if they fly up, it's all mirrors in between these trees. Sometimes it's clear glass they smash into and they can see through it that's not seeing themselves but there's just these barriers and there's a flash of the Morrigan and they turn and it's another piece of glass and it's another mirror and they see themselves and then they see their old self and then they see their corrupted form. Each Mm. mirror is showing a different version of them and some of them are the real reflection in real time and some of them are like flashes of memories of what they used to look like. Mm -hmm. And every time they turn and try to run, it's just glass and they keep seeing little flashes. I will add, the Morrigan's laugh begins to permeate this forest that is filled (laughs) with these glass and mirror barriers. And as she laughs, it begins to take on an echoing quality where it's redoubling on itself and redoubling on itself. And then it's out of sync and falling into a cacophonous chatter that resembles a flock of crows. And Biel's smashing through these barriers, eventually just flying with their staff of decay in front of them to destroy whatever is in their path, continues to fly through this forest, searching, 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 searching. But it's all glass and you can't rot glass. They say outwardly to the woods, Your tricks won't work on me. I will find you. And when he turns around in the next mirror he looks at, there's the image of the Morrigan. 
It's not a piece of glass. They're not there. It's in the reflection. They fly through into the dark of the wood, and we zoom out, and Raven, you're the last person to leave the dream. I'm not done yet. Oh. <laughs> then go. Then spread your little wings, baby girl. Go for it. <laughs> when Beelzebub smashes that mirror with Morrigan on it, when they turn, every single mirror around them is the Morrigan. And then they collapse into one and Morgan standing there in one of the reflections. I think we have that little flicker where the audience can see that it's Raven piloting them with this like cloak of the Morrigan over it. Mm -hmm. This is where Raven lets some of her own emotions come through. She's playing the part of the Morrigan, but she has Beelzebub to herself. Mm. And I think Raven lets herself feel angry. And so it's just this constant taunting of getting in their face and the, the laughing and the crows. And then Beelzebub starts to hear the Morrigan speaking. What did you do? How could you choose Lucifer's Why did you betray me? Why Beelzebub? You're a monster now. How could you Why Beelzebub? Why Beelzebub? You're a monster You Voices everywhere. It's like echoing throughout this mirror maze that they can't escape from. And she's just surrounding Beelzebub in these mirrors. Oh my god, angry Raven, though. I mean, she saw all her friends get killed, even if it wasn't real. Yeah, that's fully what he would have intended to do if this was not a dream, so... Oh yeah. Beelz is flying through and smashing through these glass mirrors and, and whatnot. But what we zoom out on as they dart through the woods is a sphere. A small sphere dotted with trees rotating under Beelz. They are locked in place as this sphere of forest and mirrors just slowly turns in orbit. Mm -hmm. Beelz is just on top flying. Beelz is flying in place as the forest passes by. It gets destroyed, it reforms, it comes back up and around. And Raven is holding this sphere, not touching it, but it floats in your hand. Yeah. In the liminal space beyond space. What do you say? I think she holds up the sphere and she looks at Beelz and she just says, you don't scare me. You feel a hand on your shoulder and Coraline is there looking at your work, the work that the three of you and she helped to manage together. I see why Aiden likes you. Let's get out of here. Raven just blushes. <laughs> <laughs> You're good, kid. Let's go. I think Raven, still kind of holding this floating sphere, cups it with both hands and then like lifts it up and lets it go as if letting go like a butterfly and just watches it kind of float away into nothingness. You and Coraline turn and the moment you take a single step, the two of you vanish. You all wake up. Raven flops over onto her back. <laughs> Just like, Ugh. Oh, God. Did we do it? How long were we out for? Is it over? 20 minutes. What? That's it? <laughs> oh, my God. Hugo, you're there, too. Yeah, Hugo's just sleeping, sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, true hero. Hugo 
tapped out 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Coraline like goes like, oh shit, he's not awake yet. Oh, I'm going to go. Whitaker and Raven both stop her like, no, he he needs this. <laughs> Let him have this. He snores a little bit. Oh my God. Come out of the bunker. Okay. You open the big heavy door. It's like a submarine <laughs> door. You've got to like push it open. I mean, it's there's a ruin around you. The woods are still on fire. No one has put that out yet. <laughs> oh, God. The whole house is destroyed. Holy shit. It's carnage out here. But you see your friends standing, their backs to this door in a ring, just in case anything else came. We see the fire as it's spreading in the woods. And it spreads to certain trees that have runes etched on them. Runes similar to what makes up whispered tattoos. And as the trees burn, the runes and give out. And as you guys come up out of the bunker, you see Coraline's barrier. The way it broke apart when those other runes burned a hole through it, the whole thing starts to break apart and fall to pieces. No! And Coraline crawls out, sees her ruined home. Oh, Corey. She just kind of sits down on one of the cinder blocks that was making up her foundation. Mm. <laughs> it was a fun dream while it lasted. Oh. Mm. Rianne kind of frowns, but turns to the rest of you. You guys should probably get out of here, right? Isn't your people coming to look for you? I hate to run off in such a hurry, but yeah. Are any cars still intact? Did our truck survive? We'll say that the truck is like parked down the road of the driveway or something. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Coraline has so many cars, we couldn't pull right up to the house. Yeah. We're like a little ways (laughs) down the driveway. Mm -hmm. Aiden will run over to you, Raven. Oh, Raven jumps on her. As soon as she can establish she's okay, Raven's like up in her arms. Oh yeah, she's like covered in dirt. She looks like she's been sandblasted almost. (laughs) (laughs) Filthy. Yeah, Raven's like full koala. It's just like arms and legs around her, off the ground, just holding her. Yeah, she's just like, are you okay? We did it. We actually did it. Oh my God, are you okay? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm fine. The plan worked. We beat him. (laughs) We did it. Girl, we saw you die. Oh my gosh. What? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you really did it. You beat a demon lord. That's, you're amazing. I... We have to go. How can you shit? Get to the car. Come on. Yeah, right. We gotta go. Corey, I'm so sorry about the house. And Coraline just waves a hand, not even looking up for her phone to look at all of you. Yeah, um... Just get out of here, Aiden. Thank you for everything. We couldn't have done this without you. <laughs> Aiden actually will walk over to Coraline and give her a hug. And she says, you really saved us this time. Thanks. And Coraline catches herself before she fully smiles and just says, It's whatever. You can let go of me now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's fair. She like walks away yep. and is already taking selfies in front of the wreckage. <laughs> just like, oh my God. localized earthquake? <laughs> She's like already taking advantage of it for her social accounts. I would imagine we threw our basics, what little we came with in the uh, the little bunker. So we just grab our shit and we fucking go. Where are we going to go? As you guys are piling into the truck, Rianne comes running up and he says, Listen, you got to get in another one of these barriers or you know, who knows what they're going to send after you. I've done it. 
one other time. And he scratches the back of his head like he's hemming and hawing over sharing these details. Hugo, wake the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Can you just teach Hugo the runes? Just give him a list of the runes. No, it takes like months to set one up. You gotta- You are fucking useless. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't change the rules of magic, old man. Don't mind him, man. (laughs) He's like, it's a whole process. It takes a long time. We don't have a long time. All right, you said you've done this before. Yeah, I've done it once before. Are you coming with us? Can we take you with us? You might wanna, I guess, because I'm gonna have to do introductions. Get in the fucking car. Oh, we're going there. Sorry we had to steal you from your girlfriend, but yeah, we if you're going, we're going. Five minutes, just give me five fucking minutes, okay, dude? Oh my God, the bed is destroyed. You don't have five minutes. <laughs> he just flips you <laughs> off as he runs back to Coraline. They exchange some <laughs> words. She gives him just like a little pat on the cheek and like slaps his butt and he goes. (laughs) They don't even kiss. Oh, poor guy. He was hoping for like a heartfelt goodbye. And she's like, all right, champ, see you later. You you know I'm going to tell everyone about this, right? He just like scoots into the backseat with you, Hugo. And he says, shut up, dude. Oh, God. All right, drive. We're driving, baby. We've got tires screeching on gravel. We're going. You go down the driveway and out onto the freeway. And Rianne says, look, Hugo, I can get us to the other barrier I've made, but you're not going to like who it's for. Rianne, where is this barrier and who is it for? We got to go to Jersey, my dude. Uh (laughs) And that's where we'll end our session. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. I feel like that's a, like a hard cut to the end. And then there's this little fade out of us on the highway. And it's all of, it's the heist squad filling in the outside squad on everything that happened. Yep. You just hear the like, so like it went exactly to plan. Oh my God, you wouldn't believe it. And then, and then this happened. And you were there. And then it's just, as we're cruising down the freeway, we're giving them the rundown on everything that happened. Someone get me some fucking coffee. I am exhausted. <laughs> 